It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Good hey, evening. Good, good evening, Fred. Good evening, as uh, I guess uh, those looking on Zoom or whatever, the Zoomcast, can see it's uh, dark here in Maine and um, whatever. Uh, well, we survived the heat from the day and uh, it's a lot cooler to do this in the evening. So I, absolutely. It was it was a scorcher even here in Maine. So, um, yeah. Uh, well, we've got some news to get to on the right. latest in the latest smart driving cars newsletter. Carnegie Mellon University's Henry Posner lays track for future of rail transit. And that's on top this week. Yeah, it's it's great. I, you know, Henry, Henry's one of the classic uh, pharaoh equinologists of the world. Um, um, I recall when he first came to Princeton uh, as a as a pre-frosh in the in the fall of uh, 1973, I believe. Um, you know, he introduced himself as Henry Posner the third pharaoh equinologist and. You knew that he was going to spend his career in railroading, and he certainly has. And this is, uh, you know, another chapter in, in innovation in railroading that, that Henry's doing with, with his, uh, with, with his pop up metro. Well, tell us what what that means. What is the pop up metro? What, well, what I, I guess the interesting thing that Henry brings to this is that the is that the basic theory is is that a lot of places that think that they would like to have. Uh, some rail transit some some uh, in places and if we if we uh, sort of look at the at recent history last 20 years 30 years of introducing um, um, rail transit in the U.S. and in some sense around the world. Um, most of this is called light rail or whatever. Uh, takes an enormous amount of time and a substantial amount of money uh, to go out and, and uh, finally build it and open it up for service. And I think what, what uh, Henry's uh, concept here with this is that basically um, uh, there are a lot, there's a lot of existing um, uh, rail lines, uh, low density rail lines uh, that in fact uh, could serve as um, as rail transit. And what you'd like to do is be able to try it before you really invest a bunch of money on it. So what he's done is he's developed the, the rail vehicles that could operate on um, on light density lines that exist. And for relatively um, uh, uh, little upfront money, uh, instead of doing a proof of concept, he would, could do a proof of market. In other words, he can go in there, operate, and, and see if does that, any customers show up. Uh, is it serving anybody? Is it really doing, a, you know, what what the analyses and so on and the plans would might indicate? And so this is a much uh, better way, as he as he puts it, to test the market and 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 and. Uh, basically do proof of market before you go out and maybe spend more or enhance the rail line or extend it than uh, just a proof of concept. 
could you think of it as sort of a like a trolley type of concept? Well, it's 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 it's, 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 it's light rail. I mean, it's basically rail service. You know, it's as and, and the, any of the commuter rail or situations that one sees. You know, this is the kind of service that that could be provided to multiple stops along along a line at a frequency at whatever the frequency of service happens to be. I mean, one of the prime places that we're looking uh, to uh, basically deploy this this vehicle is uh, is to replace the the existing um, 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 rail equipment that operates on the Princeton branch, a so-called dinky between Princeton and Princeton Junction, uh, that currently operates on on uh, Jersey Arrows, which uh, New Jersey Transit is basically um, um, uh, uh, putting. Uh, uh, converting uh, and and no longer will will operate uh, and instead operate uh, double decker service on the on on the uh, uh, northeast corridor lines uh, much more efficient much better equipment and so on and so forth it's not really appropriate equipment to put on on the Princeton branch and so instead of going out and looking for um, you know other rail equipment to to put on that uh, Henry. Um, Four years ago, I guess, decided to invest in the development of this technology, if, if not just for the Princeton branch, but for a lot of other uh, sort of um, um, uh, shuttle type services and uh, that could be provided almost um, uh, anywhere in the country or in many different places. So and not only in this country, but, uh, but around the world. So in a sense, um, you know, this is this is kind of um, interesting. And, uh, and the other thing that he sort of uh, um, uh, saw coming in some sense is that the fact that, uh, my goodness, uh, the, the, the mode of propulsion is kind of important. And uh, at least for this uh, first set of rail equipment, these are battery powered. And in a sense, they're the first battery powered uh, rail equipment in um, in uh, the Western Hemisphere. So, you know, so he's out there sort of leading on this new thrust to say, oh, yeah, well, you could put catenary up there or you could put a third rail out there. But the inf- investment in, in a lot of these light density lines where you might want to use the existing rail line to provide this, this kind of service, uh, that additional investment in just that kind of electrical equipment is non-trivial. So here, and what you would want to do anyway, is uh, given the advancement in the in, in battery propulsion and um, and and so on. In fact, a battery-powered um, rail car is uh, is really interesting. So um, you know, he's sitting here with with uh, actually you know hardware. Uh, so that uh, you know, it's not some you know uh, somebody in somebody's imagination. This is sitting there operating. Go kick the tires, or in this case, uh, kick the steel wheels. Really, really interesting. And with all of the talk in in Washington with the infrastructure bill about putting more money into rail systems, who knows? Yeah, right. And, and in some sense, you know, the, the, these. It's so hard to get dedicated uh, infrastructure, and and these rail lines exist all over the place that 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 are, could still provide this service, and in in uh, and within uh, uh, urbanized areas, and uh, and so 
you know, upgrading the, with, with relatively small amounts of money, uh, one can go in and provide this kind of service as opposed to, you know, let's go out and put a dedicated lanes of highways and dedicate them to bus rapid transit that nobody's going to use. I mean, you know, cut it out. You have to go do all that investment and what get, see that, my goodness, there's nothing there. Anyway, uh, that's the thought. Terrific. Well, you've got an item in the newsletter uh, that was released some months ago, really, from the California Public Utilities Commission. It's a headline that says, Decision Authorizing Deployment of Driver and Driverless Autonomous Vehicle Passenger Service. And I guess this is a pretty significant thing from the PUC there. Yeah, I, I think so, because if you look at, at what California has done over the past, you know, what must be at least 10 years now in trying to prepare that state for some of the for uh, really autonomous taxi or really uh, driverless operation, you know, it's been sort of a, a, a two pronged approach. One has been with the. Uh, California Motor Vehicles uh, uh, Commission, uh, uh, and and that has been uh, more to sort of set the regulations of um, having to do with uh, with uh, how well and how safe um, uh, technically uh, the technology works. Uh, but then, uh, but then on the other hand, with respect to the business of then taking. The technology and converting it into a, a viable business, which is really what the technology is being developed for, is to provide mobility to people or goods. Then, the, then there's uh, in California the Public Utilities Commission, and they're the ones that are responsible uh, for uh, making sure that the, the business cases, the business environment, the, the way that you actually, um, uh, let's call, it, deal with the sociology of the technology and delivering mobility is really important. And I think that for other states, including New Jersey, you know, uh, one should, um, as, as one is striving to catch up to California or do uh, what California has achieved, uh, one should pay attention. And that's what I'm uh, putting it out there. One should really read this and see, hey, uh, you know, let's learn from them. Let's learn from Arizona, you know, the really two big places where this has gone on learn from florida where you know that's another substantial um uh, place uh learn from texas uh as to what they're doing and uh, but you know the really what the california public utilities commission has put out there is a result of a lot of people working very diligently on trying to you know really as i like to say deal with the sociology of making this happen so that in fact value is delivered to society as opposed to, Hey, you know, we got another thing to uh, show as a video or to put as a PhD, whatever on some shelf and da, da, do da, da, da. Really interesting. And of course the push in, in New Jersey continues too towards trying to make something like this happen here as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And we're, tr we're trying, we're working on a lot of people are, are really, uh, you know, focused on it. Um, uh, we haven't sort of gone public on this yet because we're still, you know, putting our putting our our, our ducks in line. Uh, but you know, this is very, very important uh, opportunity to provide, especially given you know the thrust in, in Washington these days. 
really is to is to look at providing uh, leveling the mobility playing field and dealing with equity issues and really looking at you know what are the opportunities to provide uh, substantial improvements of mobility to segments uh, of our society that um, you know have really been left behind by the automobile and, and to me that's that's the sweet spot of this technology as well as you know allowing amazon to deliver things to my front door more easily and cheaply and hey i'm all for that whatever car and driver had a couple of pieces that you are mentioning here in the in the latest newsletter one is headlined do you know how well your car drives itself yeah and i think i think they've they did a nice job with that one and going down and arraying all the various uh, um, um, uh, driver assistance systems that are coming on the market, and as we've as we've discussed, you know, now for nine years or more, you know, uh, when we look at this technology, we look really look at, at really three opportunities with this technology. One is to substantially improve safety. Uh, the other one is to substantially improve uh, comfort and convenience. And both of those are really focused on, on the way we've, uh, you know, those of us that have been fortunate enough uh, to have access to an automobile, you know, deal with that uh, uh, system. And as we've talked many times, many times, you know, the, the safe driving, uh, aspects of it deal with, um, uh, you know, the, the, the unsafe aspect of, aspects of, of, of the automobile or, or of driving is because we end up misbehaving in its use. You know, 90 some percent of, of uh, crashes really have a human misbehavior as, as, a, as a factor. And, and we call it here misbehavior because it is. You know, if you don't pay attention, you're misbehaving. If you're sleeping, you're misbehaving. If you've had one too many or more than one too many uh, uh, adult beverage, you're misbehaving. I can't call it anything else. If you're looking at, at, at text and reading text and worried about your phone, you're misbehaving. If, if you have road rage and whatever, you're misbehaving. And so really, it's a technology to basically intervene when we misbehave to, hey, cool it a little bit. We're not going to really let you crash. And since, you know, most of our discussion with respect to Tesla has to do, my goodness, um, uh, they need to go back and focus on doing that. Don't hit stationary objects in front of you. What the heck are Teslas doing hitting stationary objects in front of them? They're supposed to be able to drive down in a, a lane, stay between the lane and do the acceleration, deceleration. Geez, don't hit anything, too. I mean, why can't you do that? But that's we'll get to that one. We will. The, the, the second one is, you know, what, what Tesla has brought in, in the most of the discussion is comfort and convenience. You know, it's really kind of nice if you have a system that that you basically set it with a separation you'd like to follow cars and set it for the max speed you want. And it just settles in there, intelligent cruise control, and, and does that. And you, know, you don't have to sit there and look at how fast am I going? Oh, my goodness, I have to be careful. I have to be, you know, set the darn thing and relax. Of course, it shouldn't let you set it at some outrageous speed, uh, you know. And you know, they should take some you know, manufacturers should take some responsibility there. 
but you know those are comfort and convenience features you know it makes it easier to go around a curve and so on and so forth and stay in the lane why can't it do that for you of course i mean to me that's that's what tesla's um, autopilot does and does very well but as this article points out there are a lot of other folks essentially all other car manufacturers have jumped on that we said very early with respect to this, this is like the new uh, chrome and fins for selling automobiles, you know, what brought people into into the showroom in the in the 50s and the 60s uh, will bring people into the showrooms in the in the now um, uh, 20s uh, because of, uh, of the comfort and convenience features. And you see all the essentially all the manufacturers are out there doing this kind of thing. Uh, that basically provides comfort and convenience. The important thing and the important thing that this points out is they work, but they aren't, they're nowhere near perfect and they're nowhere near everywhere. Plus you have to pay attention because you don't know when they're going to crap out. You don't know when you're going to have to pick up and who, whoa, this thing is uh, going off the rails. And it's not because, you know, they're lousy it's just because mother nature is out there sometimes she's you know she throws you a spitter and you can't hit that sucker then she'll throw you a change up who i mean whoa and so you got to be ready to you know you got to be ready to take over and the way these things have been sold you know cars have always been oversold to us I mean, Madison Avenue's done a whatever. The Mad Men did a whatever. They they sold dreams, not not you know realities. And as we've That's said why, before, the name "full self-driving." I mean, it doesn't mean full self-driving. <laughs> well, the only fool there is full of, and I won't say it because, of course, everybody'd be unhappy if I said that. But you know what? It's full of. It's 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 not full self-driving it's full of something else and um it's it's very good driver assist i suppose it's very good driver assist and people should relax now there are always going to be some whole look at whatever i'm going to get my 12 seconds of fame on the inner tubes and what they do da 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 i mean what are you going to do with those folks fine i mean let them i don't know uh, no patience for them at all and you all you know and there should be oversight systems to make sure that people don't you know find their you know ways around this and and become cute um although you know uh in 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 that arms race you know there will always be you know some 13 year old out there who will figure out oh man you know to do so i don't know on the point of this second story, which was headlined, it's not just Tesla. All other driver assist systems work without drivers, too. The thing is, they're not calling it full self-driving. So and, they're, they're yeah, and it's, leading it's, it's, people to think they can get away with it. Yeah, and it's really unfortunate uh, that, that that Elon, you know, has gone down this and hasn't backed off and hasn't, you know, walked the whole thing back. He, you know, you should have a little bit of humility here and say, you know, sure, the objective is to is to really deliver to, to the customer a great deal of comfort and convenience. But look, to do it so that, in fact, it really does it all is so non-trivial and 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 has to deal with, again, the sociology piece, not only the technology piece that my goodness, um, uh, look, uh, 
going being 80% or 70% of the way is delivering you great value. But come on, you know, relax and, and pay attention. Okay. Work with me here instead of, uh, you know, going off on some, Oh, wow. Look at me, mom, no hands. I mean, you know, not impressed at all. Your mother wouldn't be impressed either. We'll be back with more. But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for the white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there that will help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, as you probably know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The website again is MOTOETF.com. Alan, in the uh, latest newsletter, you've got a piece from the New York Times titled, For Many, Hydrogen is the Fuel of the Future, New Research Raises Doubts. Yeah, I think with respect to this whole, you know, business of not only hydrogen, but the whole EV thing and so on and saying these things are, you know, the magic bullets and let's get everybody all converted to these things and so on. And it's going to save everybody. Um, I think one has to look at the details of, of what it really ends up taking to do this and, and look at the whole you know, life cycle of these things and to make sure that, in fact, um, you know, uh, they really are going to deliver um, the, uh, the fundamental values um, that are associated here. And, you know, things like, you know, if you assume you can, you know, do um, carbon sequestration and do that perfectly and so on and so forth and, and also go and, and make all that stuff happen. And, um, and then still with that, when you look at, at it, uh, you, raise, you, you roll your eyes a little bit and say, you know, really from an, from an environmental standpoint, uh, you, you, you haven't moved the needle, you know, you really have to take a look at some of these things. And, and with respect to the EV, as we've pointed out, uh, you know, several times, uh, uh, I always like people to, to just look at the Lawrence Livermore energy charts to see, you know, if you're really dealing with energy, you've got to look at how we as a society or we as a state or we as a world actually use energy and where the heck does it come from and if we start all of a sudden saying uh hey yeah we want you know electricity is the, the thing uh you know where's the electricity going to come from it still ends up having to be produced and how was that being produced and so on and so forth and you know just to say oh my goodness we're just gonna have the sun do it you know well hey if we had the sun doing everything then we could have the sun do more we don't have the sun doing everything yet. And so, you know, that's the simple thing. I suppose related to this, uh, you highlight a piece is in the New York Post. Uh, was headlined, Don't Buy the Latest Climate Change Alarmism. And it's talking about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the report that came out from there, drawing reactions really from around the world. Yeah, and, you know, and... <laughs> Yes, and this is also also ripe for for you know fake news. Also, is, is is all over the place. I don't think that the things that we're we're pointing to are are fake news elements. This is 
this is as best as I can tell, you know, solid news. And, and when one looks at the solid news piece, yes, one wants people to take, pay attention. Uh, but I think one wants to also be honest here about paying attention and say, okay, you know, how do we really deal with, with this? And in some sense, uh, sure, it's, 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 you know, people say, well, you can't give mobility to poor people. I mean, my goodness, that's going to increase energy consumption. Well, you mean poor people don't have, shouldn't have the opportunity to improve their quality of life by going someplace and using some energy to do that, that, that should all be reserved for you, Fred, or for me. I mean, cut it out. I, I, these are these are very tough issues, very tough issues. And just people just, you know, need to need to think and need to do a lot more analysis. There's a piece from Auto Week uh, that made the newsletter uh, called it's titled Watch Plus Testing Level Four Autonomous Truck Without a Driver. Well, uh, what, what do you make of this? I didn't like it. <laughs> and I guess I, it's obvious I didn't like it. I, totally irresponsible. I mean, is that is that a clue? <laughs> uh, I, I think it is totally irresponsible. You know, this business of here, look, ma, no hands or here, look, ma, there's nobody in it. I mean, cut it out. I mean, no, but nobody's impressed by that. Okay, what one impre- would be impressed with is, in fact, it operated and didn't need anybody in her intervention. And we should but point that, out this that, was in China. Uh, that, uh, uh, yeah, well, we'll get to that. But <laughs> that, it does, almost doesn't matter that, that where it was in, in the end. And, and that, that, my goodness, uh, you know, if, if you could honestly, you know, go from really A to B, an A to B that has a market that really needs it and really could use the fact that uh, you might in the end not have to pay for, for a driver to do it and you could provide some real societal and economic benefit out of doing that, then, geez, at least demonstrate that you can do it with somebody in there so that in case, hey, you didn't cross all the T's or dot all the I's, somebody's in there saving it. And in fact, you know, if you reported properly saying, hey, there were there were no interventions by the person that was in there, the person did nothing, then I think we'd all be we'd all be really happy that you did that. But to go out there and say, oh, no, I'm I'm also I'm going to do that and not have anybody in it and not have a fallback in case. You know, Mother Nature is out there throwing her change up or spitball or, you know, slider or her that that curveball that she's going to strike out on. Who knows? To me, it's irresponsible. That can't happen here in the United States. People go out and do that before they're ready, before there's a there. And they do it for 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 social and, and, and market reasons. One shouldn't be out there testing without without some fallback, some attendant. There's just no reason to do it that way. No reason at all. And 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 you know, I can't believe that certainly California Public Utilities isn't going to let you really do that. No, uh, you know, no state's really going to let you do that until until you've really demonstrated you've been out there, you've done it X number of times. 
you pick a number X and it's gone. That person wasn't needed. Now you, Hey, you're willing to take the risk. People you demonstrated, go ahead. Okay. But you've done all the tests with somebody there in case you needed them so that you could learn from the time you needed it, fix it, go out there, do it again. Hey, I fixed it. But somebody's in there. And I can't believe that the Chinese government let that happen. I just don't believe it. Sorry. I think they're more, I think the government's much more responsible. So I think the whole thing was faked. It isn't, it's, you know. For the public relations value. For the public relations or something, look at us, we're the greatest. I mean, I just watched that steering wheel doing this as it's changing lanes. I say, what the heck's the matter with its lateral control system that it's doing this as it's changing lanes? The steering wheel's doing that. (laughs) What? And then they say it's traffic-filled highway. (laughs) I guess, you know, before the pandemic, I went a few times to China. I think I was in a few traffic-filled highways in China. You know, the aerial shot of that of that test wasn't very traffic filled over there four cars no trucks holy macro i mean cut it out and you know since when in such an open highway in china is everybody in the left lane going slower than people in the right lane seems to me every and every open highway every, i've seen that many boy in china they 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 have a they have a lead foot man Sorry, I yeah, I don't buy it. A couple of other tests to report <laughs> on. Motional uh, says it's to begin testing driverless vehicles on the streets of Los Angeles. We've got Mobileye in New York. They just are putting out another vehicle I just read, and and now Motional in L.A. Well, at least L.A. is you know more reasonable than uh, than than Manhattan. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, cut it out, man. You know, never mind. I I just don't think Manhattan's the place to do this, and it's not the place to test. And I don't know what you're trying to prove, okay? Uh, and if you're doing it in L.A., I certainly hope you're doing it in Watts also. And as I put in the uh, in the um, in the smart driving cars, and not just the um, uh, the um, uh, Brentwoods of of LA. You can take whatever meaning out of that that you want. Daimler and Bosch are ending their joint robo taxi development project. Um, I don't know that it got very far. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know caught me a little bit by surprise or not surprise. Um, yeah. yeah. The value of this technology to the existing auto manufacturers is one, to improve safety, which is the safe driving car aspects. And to me is, which they haven't done as good of a job as they should have, is to develop an automated emergency braking system that doesn't hit things, especially stationary things in your lane ahead. Okay, I mean, 
cut it out. I mean, there's another one that came out. I don't know, maybe we'll get to it. Some guy testing autopilot, whatever, you know, in in who knows where Colorado. No, this, was Yosem- this was Yosemite. And, and it, yeah, Yo- we want to pay Yosemite. homage to Yogi, Yogi Berra on this one, who said, when you get to a fork in the road, take it. Yeah, apparently and, there's a problem with the fork. Yeah, in the road. apparently there's Yosemite. a problem with the fork in a road, and and you know they show you the image of the fork in a road, and you know there's a there's a there lot of crashes into in a there's boulder there, and crashes the road in the border in the middle, involving and, a Tesla, and, and it's and, going 25 miles an hour, and the and and the person you know didn't see it coming and grabbed the and and grabbed the wheel and avoided it. I mean, I, 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 I again, um, you know. Maybe it was staged. I, I have no idea. This is, hey, maybe you know, autopilot can't handle that one. But if you're paying attention, you're able to grab that wheel and not hit that boulder. I think. I mean, you know, uh, maybe maybe <laughs> that really is superhuman, and you have to, you know, unveil your big S and take over. I don't. I don't. I don't buy it. I mean, again, um, and but but. You know, Tesla and all these vehicles shouldn't be hitting boulders at 25 miles an hour. It should recognize that that thing is big, stationary. The vehicle's heading right straight to it, and it's only going 25 miles an hour. Hit the brakes. Cut it out. Really? Now, maybe it hit the brakes here, and there was gravel, and it slid, and the coefficient of friction, and it shouldn't have waited uh, until 1.6 seconds before collision, and it should have started at 2.5 seconds, and what did do, 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 do? Come on. These things can be intelligent enough to do that. So do that. And that, that really, and getting back to the Bosch uh, Daimler thing, you know, that's the safe driving car aspect. And the self-driving car aspect is the comfort and convenience. That's you know when 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 Mercedes came out with the nine nine seven package or nine nine whatever it is package in the in the two thousand fourteen S class, I couldn't get to my Mercedes dealer fast enough to buy that sucker. I mean, I was the first on my block. Loved it. Well, it didn't work quite as well as it should, but boy, that stuff, as we said, is is like is like fins and 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 chrome sells cars. Now, whether or not you then make the car so that you can, you know, have that car take your 12-year-old to little league practice, sit there and wait for her until after practice and bring her back home. That's the driverless piece. Put that out there to consumers to maintain the vehicle and make sure that, you know, that 12-year-old, nothing happens to it every time it goes. Yeah, a lot of people might like to have that capability. They wouldn't have to chauffeur the 12-year-old. Boy, that better be good. Boy, you better have a, a lot of liability insurance and, you know, go go to Munich Re and buy a lot of reinsurance and so on. Because, boy, <laughs> something happens along the way to your 12-year-old. When, when, when Daimler sold you that vehicle, <sighs> I don't want to be in that courtroom. And so, therefore, you know, maybe the autonomous taxi aspect of this for a Daimler and a Bosch who basically supplies Daimler and all the other 
whatevers. Maybe, maybe that's not their market. Maybe that's not their sweet spot. Maybe there isn't an ROI there. Maybe it's not for them. Now, it can, of course, be for a Waymo. It can be for an Argo. It, it, can, it, it can be for a cruise. It can be for, for an Aurora. It can be for an Amazon. It can be for a lot of other folks. But maybe it's, you know, maybe the Daimlers and the Bosches don't have the stomach for this. They've got a nice business. Thank you. Okay, it may not be Tesla's market vow. Who knows whether or not that holds up or not. Interesting. You know, and it leads us to a, a survey that you report on in the, in the newsletter. Another survey, we should say. Uh, almost half of consumers in the U.S., U.K., and Germany believe it will be more than three years before fully functioning autonomous vehicles are available, a survey shows. Now, I, I, you wouldn't necessarily argue with, with the finding here, but what does the survey mean? Well, I, I'd argue, why is it only 50%? Why not 100%? I mean, the 50% that think it's going to be here within three years, what, what do they define as fully autonomous vehicle? Okay, as I say, is it really one of these things that you can go and, and, and it be on your list as you're out there really trying to decide you're going to buy a new car, which dealer are you going to go to buy one? And, you know, is, is that going to be on the list and it's going to be a, a choice? And, and what that vehicle has to do is be able to, you know, I think take your 12-year-old to literally practice and wait for her and bring, bring her back home. Now, if, if you put it that way and say, hey, when you think a vehicle, they can do that kind of thing. Maybe you don't have a 12-year-old, something else. Maybe it's to take your grandmother someplace, or maybe it's to go to your grandma's house and get the, the blueberry pie that she made for you and bring it home. Who knows? Whatever you're going to use a driverless vehicle to go schlep something for you. You know, it's a, it's a schlepping vehicle. And if, if that's if you put that in the minds of the persons you know, and say, hey, when do you think these things are, you know, three years from now, you're looking to buy a new car. Do you think it's going to be one of these on the list? <laughs> if, if you get 10 percent of the people to say, hey, yeah, I think it's going to be on the list. I, you know, as I say, you know, that's not going to be on the list. Certainly not my lifetime. I, you know, I may not last three years, whatever. But, you know, I say it's not going to be in my kid's lifetime. I'd almost like to say it's not going to be in my grandkids' lifetimes, but you know, I guess I these the driverless piece, the fully autonomous vehicle, is not a consumer product. It's a fleet product by a responsible entity that is out there providing mobility for either people or goods for the benefit to improve the quality of life of the people that are consuming it period. And that is not a consumer product in and of itself. My humble view. And perhaps moving some goods as well. Yeah, sure. Of course, uh, people or goods, I, you know, and people or goods and the goods may very well come first and so on. I mean, the, the opportunity that was, that, that just, you know, popped in everybody's mind 15 or so years ago with the DARPA challenges was that, Oh my goodness, if we, it may be possible for us to put enough intelligence in the vehicle 
so that it can do it itself without requiring any other changes in the infrastructure except paint and a little bit of smoothness. I mean, that, that, that's the great leveraging point as opposed to having to go out and, you know, we do have a how many trillion in infrastructure bill, but, you know, everything's now infrastructure. So who, what really goes to infrastructure, but that's a whole other question. We aren't going to go down, you know, but, but that's, 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 that's the dream of this. And, and, and uh, that's the opportunity. And the opportunity is, is why? Because, because out of that, you should be able to provide, enhance mobility to a lot of folks and a lot of goods that really haven't had a good way to travel. And to me, that's, that's value to society. Fundamental. Talking about moving goods. We're at the, uh, our final story here. Amazon's one and a half billion dollar U S air cargo hub open for business. This is in Northern Kentucky opened up on Wednesday. Here they come. Here they come and I'm working on it, you know, I mean, um, you know, I, I don't know what FedEx thinks, but, you know, it, uh, you know, it looks like Memphis for FedEx. It, uh, you know, when Smith opened up FedEx, uh, the Memphis facility really changed FedEx and made it, you know, whatever. And, uh, and this really, um, really does something for Amazon. And hey, this is really going to be the center for their U.S. cargo network. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, it's again, it's it's hub and spoke sort of sort of concept with respect to air freight. Um, you know, FedEx proved this. You know, what thirty years ago? How, how long has it been? You know, that, that really, if you if you really want to move things efficiently, and certainly in North America, you know, you just create a hub, a hub and spoke. That now there's more than just the Memphis hub. Now with FedEx, you know, there's one at Newark. There, are, you know, a few others around the nation, and so on. But uh, but this is you know this is exactly what Amazon is doing. And instead of going out and 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 buying um, uh, that logistics, uh, that goods movement operation, uh, you know, from other providers, they've decided to um, do them within its own uh, its own sphere. You know, we all see the Amazon. Um, class A trucks out there on the New Jersey turnpikes of this world moving stuff. We, we of course, see the Amazon vehicles uh, bringing them to uh, to our homes. And, um, and of course, um, you know, they had to look at air freight because, um, because in fact, if you do want to have the uh, the quick delivery, you know, at some point you've got to really move the stuff, some stuff long distance fast, and, you know, you do that with air. So, you know, I don't know if they're investing in cargo ships uh, that get stuck in the Suez Canal or not, but, um, you know, um, uh, probably not. But anyway. Well, we've covered it all, Alan. Planes, we, trains, and automobiles. Planes, <laughs> trains, and automobiles. We went the, we, well, that's what's interesting about transportation and the whole logistics system. Then. Not just to move freight, but to move people. It takes it. It, it takes a village. <laughs> it takes it takes a lot of pieces. And yes, we are talking about one piece with respect to to automated operation. I I still think it's I still think the technology is doable. The sociology is non-trivial, and we just haven't done enough yet for, 
with the sociology, but I think, you know, the sociology is non-trivial. Stay tuned. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, wherever you turn to for podcasts, and your smart speaker can play us too. You can find my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please stay safe and have a great weekend. Thank you, Fred. Enjoy, everybody. Enjoy the end of the summer, and uh, hopefully uh, it'll get a little bit cooler.